Hi everyone, my name is Karina Givargizov, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic interactive media platform. For fashion for beauty for good is our tagline. My Mission Is podcasts are normally hosted by myself and Charlene Spiteri, the singer-songwriter of the band Texas, but they've just come out with a new single with the Wu-Tang Clan, which launched last week. It's really good, so maybe after this podcast you can give it a listen too. This is the last episode this year, and we are ending it on a thoughtful note. In this podcast, I speak to Barack Chekmak. We met a few years ago when he was the Dean of Fashion for Parsons School in New York. He's now working on a few other initiatives, both still centered around education and sustainability. We have a great conversation about what role technology plays in this, the value chain, how fashion seasons are changing, and really how he was ahead of being sustainable in fashion long before it was the trendy buzzword that it is now. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for listening and keep well. Where are you calling in from now? Are you, are you in the UK? I have been in the UK, but uh, in the past couple of weeks, I decided that it's better to be somewhere sunnier, so I came down to Greece. <gasps> oh my goodness. I'm back in the UK, having come in from New York, um, and I'm looking at a cold grey sky. So uh, Yes, that's, that's what I was expecting, so I said it's a good <laughs> idea to escape to sun. <laughs> You know, New York is still okay during November, December. Yes. Well, actually, do you know what? When I was um, just getting ready for this interview, the last time I saw you, I think, was a year and a half ago, possibly two years. And it was around about this time I came into Parsons to your office to meet you. And it was freezing cold that day. Yeah. I remember I was layered up. Um, and, yeah, it was very, very cold. And, and a lot has changed since then in the world and in, in what you're doing and um it's I I just think it's fantastic you're I'm just looking all through your past achievements and it's just remarkable I remember when I actually first met you was at Urban Zen do you remember at a Donna Karen event that Sonia Nuttall introduced us yes yes absolutely absolutely yes I remember we were on the ground floor that's right that's right um and I since understand now that um, you, well, just a bit of background for our listeners that you you kind of started with sustainability at, at Gap, if I'm correct in saying as, That's correct. As yeah. a senior manager of social responsibility, which is quite quite ironic, really, you know, a, a fast chain um, and you're, you're there to educate and um, advise them on social responsibility. And then you went to London to be the first director at Caring for Corporate Sustainability, working with all these luxury fashion brands like Gucci and Bottega and Stella McCartney. And then I believe you went to Parsons. Is that correct? Uh, there were even a few other things in between. Uh, so I have been quite interested in trying to take knowledge around sustainability, and especially as it relates to fashion and design industry overall. Uh, so from Caring, I actually did a project for one of the UN agencies on sustainable materials. It was really focused on trading in biodiversity for preservation of ecosystems. And then I, for a short period, uh, oversaw uh, made by with, uh, the Benelux office, uh, which was basically a nonprofit uh, promoting sustainable behavior with corporates. It gave me a chance to work with a lot of big organizations from 
Tommy Hilfiger European office all the way to H&M head office, Acme Studios, uh, to all these smaller brands across Europe, especially in Scandinavia. And then I uh, ended up going to Swarovski Group and build their sustainability function where I spent uh, over three and a half years. And um, I'm very excited to be able to have a chance to build it's from scratch, both at Caring and Swarovski. Uh, with all of that industry knowledge, it was time to go to a different place where all of this knowledge can be used in a new way. And education seemed to be the space where there's a lot of need to rethink what we are teaching, especially to designers. One of the things that I realized, especially working in the business, is that uh, studio teams generally were detached from the reality of day-to-day and also definitely detached from uh, the issues of sustainability at that time. It it was nobody's fault. It was just they were not exposed and uh, they were just basically expected to continue to design more and more and more. Hence, I felt like going to a place like Parsons is a great opportunity to change mindsets and build a bit of activism into design and have designers change their voice to, to, to ask for these in big business, but also why not build their own business that's built on the, the, the right values. Yes, and to start it, I guess, at the really inception, as the student is training to be a designer, that makes complete sense to kind of just educate them from the offset about sustainability rather than years later. Yes. I mean, the, the, the truth is we, it's about giving the tools needed uh, to design in the best way possible. That shouldn't mean that you're creating the most exciting garments alone. Uh, it, sh- it should not be just about fashion. It should be about understanding the role of designer in the world, in, in society, and how they can use that to really, one, have a reduced impact, but also be able to use that influence in a positive way. And again, all, all we were trying to do is give them the knowledge and the tools, uh, and ultimately each designer chooses their own path. Yes, yes. Do you, um, I was going to say then, do you, do you feel that it was, did you see like a lot of students embrace it and really understand and really want to take this on board a bit, uh, to incorporate sustainability within their creations? Because I think a lot of the younger generation I've learned are, are very passionate about um, activism and, and especially climate change. Yes, I mean, I think it's a very different world today. Generation Z is very much aligned with connecting with what's happening around them, uh, with their communities, their culture, society, and, and recognizing that they have a voice to uh, really push for change. And when they are in school, depending on what they're studying, they are trying to use those uh, skills to go in this direction that's aligned with their own values. For a designer, it means that thinking about the impact of design, how can design be used for good, as well as how do you design to have less impact. And um, what I'm impressed is also this is happening all over the world. I think we hit that tipping point where this is not anymore a question of if I should become sustainable or not. It's the only way to be. And uh, I'm also quite happy to see that it's now very much turning into a conversation around innovation, sustainability, new business models, um, and, and, and really rethinking the whole system itself rather than just looking at few aspects of becoming more sustainable, which is something quite a few brands have been trying to do in the past uh, decade or so. 
Yes. Have you always been interested in sustainability and trying to have this knowledge spread through education and through corporate brands? Has that always been a passion for you? I mean, I feel like every individual should look at what they're excited to learn about and do and really go in this direction and build and accumulate knowledge related to that topic. So my undergraduate was in international relations with the intention to go into foreign service. And uh, somehow I changed my mind and I wanted to do something more related to business and had a chance to get into Gap as the first company, first conglomerate that was actually trying to tackle labor issues at a global scale. So that gave me the interest and excitement around understanding the complexity of how do you operate in this networked way where you don't own any factories, all your suppliers are across the world. And you need to figure out uh, how to set standards, apply these standards, but also build partnerships to be able to push for long-term change. Yes. So that naturally evolved into uh, what sustainability has evolved into in the past two decades. Uh, So starting with labor standards, going into environmental issues, then it's becoming something a lot more strategic around the business model uh, and then pushes uh, push for transparency around what the companies are doing. So I was part of the initial efforts to uh, give visibility to uh, the labor issues that we were facing in the factories, which was something quite scary at that time because nobody has ever done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did set a trend. So it was great to be part of this change from early on in my career. And I think that motivated me to continue building on this. And looking at where the conversation is moving, being part of that change, having the dialogue and looking at how do we, how do we take it to a better place? Yes. I, I think even since I've met, met you four years ago, there's been, it's, there's been quite a big shift towards sustainability and brands. I think, like you just said, they have to be responsible, um, especially with the Gen Z, the younger generation want transparency, want to know where their piece has been made and, and how and um if it's really authentic and how much water is used and dyes and all of this. And um, it's evolved. It's almost become a buzzword now um, to to talk about this. And um, I want to also learn about, I know that you have two, I've learned of two new initiatives you've started. um, One being Thian. Is that how I pronounce that? Thian? Yes, that's correct. And the other, the Digital Fashion Group, which I I think are really exciting. How, How did Thian come about? Where did that idea come from? Yeah, I mean, as as I continue engaging with the industry, I wanted to have a structure where I'm able to actually advise and consult in a more flexible way. So that that was the initiative behind it. And it allows me to work on a project basis with companies. So it's quite exciting to be able to just go in and understand where the company is and and looking at the overall business model, but also obviously making sure sustainability is a core part of it. And then working with the organizations to really take it forward, be it uh, building new sustainable products to looking at the operational model and how do you actually improve their overall impact. And then digital fashion group is something I'm also quite uh, passionate about. Uh, Having spent the last five years in academia, one thing that I realize is, uh, yes, it is important that I was there to change the curriculum and in, incorporate concepts around sustainability into the curriculum. Uh, the change happens in a slow pace in education. So Digital Fashion Group is intended to be more of a 
collaborative effort around uh, sharing knowledge, especially with what's happening with technology across the value chain of fashion. And uh, what excites me about that is that there is newness coming out every day, even not every company is aware of, and definitely hard to incorporate into a traditional curricular model. So our intention is to continuously stay connected and be a catalyst in between corporate world and academics and the students and accumulate all of this knowledge and create case studies, uh, workshops, short courses uh, that's intended to bring new knowledge, both to corporates as well as uh, designers of the future. And it's, it's basically addressing a specific need where uh, we have seen is not currently being addressed. And clearly, sustainability will be at the base of this. Um, but we also are looking at, uh, you know, with the positive and the negative, the overall impact of technology to the industry, and even questioning the elements of uh, elements of ethics and what does it mean to work with AI? What does it mean to use all these digital tools? What will be the impact on even the uh, the labor force uh, that we are very dependent on today, which will all change? We have seen so much advancement happening uh, across the whole value chain, from materials all the way to manufacturing. I mean, we've seen the retail part in a massive way. And we are in the land of COVID. Of course, everything is now digital. At least retail, we've already adopted. But the rest of the value chain is changing very quickly as well. So I want to make sure that anybody who's coming in new, but also anybody who's already in the industry but doesn't have a chance to necessarily look at sources to educate themselves to understand all of the new ideas that are coming up and in their own way find ways of engaging with it and adapting it because that's going to be part of the requirement for survival unfortunately yes yes what um you, you mentioned the value chain um can you explain that term to our listeners who are not familiar with what that means I mean, it's basically the chain where the value is created along, uh, especially when it comes to fashion. It's starting with uh, sourcing of the material, continuing into manufacturing. Obviously, there's design that uh, lays over the, um, the material and the manufacturing process. And then logistics uh, all the way into stores or now online retail and then going into consumer. And this chain has been traditionally seen as a linear line. And um, one of the largest conversations around sustainability today is about their circularity. So many of the listeners, I'm sure, heard about closed-loop systems. And even if they haven't, the idea is basically we're looking at a circular model where everything we create is being used and reused again. And then we have a continuous loop where we don't necessarily need to be dependent on new materials and new uh, sources. Having said that, obviously, in a typical circular chain, you can still have impact because you're still producing, you're using energy, you're shipping things around. Uh, But there are many initiatives along that value chain that can be taken on board to actually reduce the impact of the, the process itself. So circularity is one of the key points that every designer and brand has to take on board. But at the same time, it's important that they are looking at uh, the impact during that circular process and also try to reduce that to really minimize their overall impact. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, How's it it been working with students during this year, during the lockdown, um, trying to kind of keep their innovation and keep their optimism going, especially with your new um, 
the digital fashion group have has I'm sure that's been a challenge. I mean, any student that has been in the system already and used to taking classes in person and having access to facilities, obviously had a difficult time in the transition. And uh, it's more than anything about the mindset, uh, because uh, if you prepared yourself for, let's say, a life in New York City uh, with the network and access you have through the school and, uh, and all of the facilities that you have access to, and suddenly you lose all of that, it definitely creates a challenging time. Having said that, the individuals that are capable of adapting and understanding that uh, there is no other way of dealing with the situation than looking for online and digital solutions, but also these are going to be extremely useful going forward because the industry is changing in any case. Uh, They can actually put themselves ahead um, in the near future. And to be honest, the more brands I talk to, number one demand from the very few jobs that are available are the ones that are about digital skills, even for designers. I have heard even recently in the past one month or two months, individuals getting off multiple offers because of their specific digital skills in several companies, which is kind of unheard of in a period like this where a lot of people are losing their jobs. So, you think, so technology, I guess, is really, uh, it's super important marrying technology and fashion together. It's even more so now than ever. Yeah, I mean, technology has always shaped everything we've done. It's shaped the fashion industry. If you think about it, it was the industrial revolution that really scaled it up and made it uh, accessible to the masses and allowed us to really, in some ways, automate it based on those time standards And uh, we were suddenly able to create large amounts of textiles out of the mills. And then we were able to create these factories uh, where in this line production, uh, things were being able to get produced quite quickly and for a better price. Now it's evolving even further. So we haven't necessarily seen as much technology infusion into the design process itself or fashion until recently. But in the past few years, that has already started happening. Most schools and designers hasn't adapted that. And uh, I think this is the moment where there's no choice but to adopt these technologies. Uh, similar to what they used to do in the past, you're able to get similar results, but you, you, had, you just have to learn using new tools. So instead of a scissor, you will have to use your computer potentially. I know it's not as exciting for anybody who's used to working in the traditional studio environment, uh, but the reality is technology gives you new ways of doing things as well. And, and, you know, it was all technology, so I just want to reiterate that it's about the latest technology that we are using. So even scissors was a technology at some point in time. So, yeah, and then for sure, whatever we are using now is going to be outdated in a decade. So... It's always being on top of it and understanding all the latest tools available and, and that you can plug into that overall value chain. Uh, because if, if you end up in a place where you need to place production orders and the factory is expecting certain uh, technical details in certain formats that's using the latest tools, you have no choice but to learn it. Yes. Do you feel that from your past, like your past corporate experience that you're able to... Ed- bring that that knowledge to the students like especially on the the business side of things because that's something that when we we have a lot of interns we work with and I I explain every part of the business to them 
whether that's a media kit or a business plan or partnerships, because that's something that wasn't part of my curriculum when I was at St. Martin's. It wasn't you just taught the creative or explored the creative side. Is that an important part of the the curriculum at the Digital Fashion Group? Yeah, I, I think in every academic institution, including what we're doing, business part is so critical that it has to be woven in, in the best way possible. And in some ways, because we are operating in this flexible model that's, that's, that's digital and it's not necessarily accredited, but it's meant to be a short course and an ongoing learning, we are able to blend creativity with business knowledge together. Having said that, even in the past five years, during the time I was at Parsons, I've always been cautious about making sure that we are not just repeating the the previous models to students and preparing them for 20th century when we've already moved on. If you look at how the system works, it's very, very different now. And anybody who's been in it for a long time and haven't changed, I mean, the best example I was reading this week is uh, clearly Top Shop. Yes. Uh, yes. So, if you look at uh, you know incredibly successful brands that, that have failed because they haven't adapted to the new ways of doing things, it shows that not any business knowledge is valuable. It's about making sure that you're looking at the future and learning from the people that are pushing those boundaries. So I'm much more, especially in the past couple of years, I've much more put my effort into innovation and entrepreneurship uh, where I see so much movement happening because the barriers to entry has been lowered drastically. Part of it is retail is easier. Having said that, I, I'm fully aware that it's very difficult to gain visibility, but it's cheaper to get into the system. So you're not solely dependent on the wholesale model. You don't necessarily have to just uh, constantly ask uh, the traditional multi-brand retailers to take you on board to sell your product or be recognized. Uh, I mean, we have seen incredible success just out of social media channels. And uh, with social commerce taking uh, forward uh, all conversation, uh, it, it allowed designers to even operate in very small-scale businesses and be able to take pre-orders and get started without necessarily investing heavy amounts of money. And clearly, it's a very crowded space, and there's a lot of competition uh, so you need to have a very unique voice. And, and also it's very hard to stay on top of it in the long term because it's, it's, people have very little attention spent these days and they move on to the next big thing. So this is actually pushing everybody to think, uh, what does it mean to be part of the fashion system? And are you constantly reinventing yourself? Because if you don't, you're going to be irrelevant very quickly. Yeah, it's almost a new, a, a new understanding of fast fashion. You've got to really grab someone's attention quickly. I saw the news last night in the UK about um, the Held Arcadia group, which was very sad, but one vendor who used to supply to Debenhams just said they're stuck in the 80s and they never moved forward. And it just and it's so true that that's a, a brand that I associate as a youngster um, in London and, um, and, and they didn't move forward or have online presence. And I think the new generation, now, they're so adaptable and having as well the phone's in their hands the whole time and everything is, the conversation is through Instagram. And um, it's interesting you say that they don't have to, designers, new designers won't have to worry about putting product into retail and, and losing a percentage that they can just go direct to the consumer to sell, um, which I think is a 
it's more of probably an exciting approach for young designers to give them a bit more um, leverage with their brand and, and maybe make more you know, money come back into the business instead of all these other overheads. I mean, definitely. And also direct-to-consumer is the only way forward, to be honest. And everybody is looking at not only being direct-to-consumer, but also what is that unique element that you're offering. And uh, and is it relevant to that moment as well? Because uh, if you look at what happened in the past six months, uh, you know, if you were uh, a brand that's uh, selling very comfortable clothes and hoodies and sweatshirts, you've done extremely well. Uh, we don't know if this is going to last forever. So even those brands have to adapt. But we have seen even luxury being pushed into this place where seasons mean something else. The truth is fast fashion already took seasons to an extreme that we would have never imagined in the past. Uh, for the fastest brands, you now have 52 drops. <laughs> Literally every week new product is coming. So in this kind of reality, there's no value of season anymore. It's basically a new product uh, that excites you. And when you want to have it, you want, you, you will have it. Uh, so the old planning, old system has been already out the door. And even luxury has adapted a bit more to this faster model. Clearly, they're not dropping uh, 52 times into the store. But, uh, but having said that, I think... Uh, seasons are being questioned, fashion weeks are being questioned, fashion shows are being questioned, uh, because you're seeing that since fashion week has not been about buying anymore, but more about marketing, and that you're now able to market at any point in time digitally and you reach out to more people, and you want the product to be available closer to the time that you're marketing it, suddenly the whole system falls apart. So everybody has to reinvent themselves in this uh, system, including the fashion weeks, fashion councils, the brands, the buyers. So we are all struggling and uh, all of us are trying to innovate. I think the beauty of this is, you know, it's impossible to guess exactly where it's going to end up. But because everybody is working towards a new direction, I think it's creating a lot of dynamism. So it's important to be part of the system and trying to evolve it and push it in a direction that makes sense for your organization than anything else, and then hope for the best. I think it's exciting times. I, I think it's it needed. I think fashion needed a reboot, um, and, and unfortunately got it in the way that we wouldn't have hoped by a pandemic. But um, it's it's interesting that you say about um, the seasons and the fifty two drops because you think as well. There was always, a, I felt for a while there was a disconnect, you know, you, because of the environment, because of the changing temperatures in different countries, the climate change, what was going into the stores, I thought missed the mark on what was actually the weather outside that you couldn't, it was always quite a disconnect. So I guess brands now have to take that into consideration um, and try and design things that are more readily available to the customer and not having this six months wait um don't you think that there's that that's all of that there is no kind of timelines anymore yeah i mean everything is out there obviously it takes time to produce clothes uh, but then you know there are different ways of pushing it uh, including this idea of pre-order where everybody is trying to experiment because you can sell full price you don't have to build inventory and you get paid before you produce so that is the holy grail clearly uh, nobody has, has figured it out 100 percent but having said that, the role of brands is evolving as well, uh, because ultimately, you know, the design and fashion has always been about creating a dream that people desire, 
marketing was the tool to make people desire it. And uh, now that we are all connected and we are even are getting influenced, excited about other individual consumers and what they're doing rather than just brands, suddenly uh, the whole way of thinking around what is a what's an item that you would like to have is changing. Hence, influencers started creating their own products without having design knowledge. Obviously, they have uh, support uh, behind them that's coming from factories with design teams that are able to give them some guidance. Uh, but at the same time, brands are recognizing that they even need to invest more in marketing and getting awareness from the customer. So in some ways, today, the brands are the forecast, uh, sorry, broadcasters. And um, they are broadcasting, they're creating content. Content comes before the product. That's where we are. And uh, I, I, for people that are, you know, deeply rooted into fashion tradition and really appreciate the beauty of design, suffer through this reality, uh, but it's the world we live in. And uh, you just hope that that content creation doesn't take away from the, the the beauty of the product and the process and the creativity that normally goes behind creating something unique. Uh, but we are at a place where sometimes just the content itself is enough uh, to be able to even generate revenue <laughs> and, uh, and also keep people connected to you. Hence, it's about building culture, building community, uh, and then staying connected and keeping them excited. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily creating something unseen before. So maybe this also creates opportunities for, and we are seeing this movement around uh, secondhand products, repurposing at every level. I'm, I'm amazed with the number of brands that are starting to experiment with this. Uh, and recognizing that they need to move forward with such business initiatives around new revenue streams that are very much rooted into the idea of sustainability. And you said, I, I, I quote you on something I read about you recently saying solutions addressing the community needs, um, which is, it made me think back to what you were saying about everyone's been at home, they've been working from home and, and everyone wants more luck, kind of, cozy, uh, comfortable, comforting, safe garments, hoodies, sweats, things, and that luxury brands are adjusting to this. And um, it's interesting that you think, well, is I mean, you, you made me, when I was looking at Cian as one of your co-founders, she's on, um, she's involved in one of my favorite brands is Pangaea. That's correct. It is just doing remarkable. And it's, it's, I love their simple approach and and their transparency about you know what the pieces and what they do and it's um i think do you think a lot of brands are going to start kind of looking to this thinking we you know because no one's going to meetings no one's going at the moment <laughs> absolutely i mean if you look at the numbers 80 percent increase and I'm, I'm assuming even more on the sale of hoodies and sweatshirts <laughs> and nobody's buying suits or shirts and uh, in this kind of reality, so it's about being relevant to the moment that becomes very critical. Uh, so it means that, you know, it's amazing to look at these heritage brands that have all of their long-time relationships with their factories and things take time and they create these beautiful products. Can it be adapted to the new lifestyle? And this is the challenge those brands have to face. Otherwise, they need to shift things around so that they are giving people what they want. Because ultimately, sustainability is around producing what's desired. Otherwise, it's a waste to begin with. 
but also as you create that to make sure that it's uh, done in the best way and the right way possible using the best materials and then ensuring that you have minimized your impact in your supply chain itself. You must see different countries more ahead than others um, in in their practices and and in their embracement of sustainability. And I I say this because we do, in our magazine, we do an eco edits at the front of every issue and we we look for brands um, and and objects to to promote. And quite a lot of the times we, we come across a lot of companies in the UK that are really championing um, sustainability more so actually than America, just as from our our research, do you, do you find like one country stands out more than the other in, in their approach and, and embracement of sustainability? I, I mean, you clearly are seeing a lot more entrepreneurial activity in Europe, especially in UK, when it comes to sustainability and fashion. But it's not just also on the design end, but it's also on the the communication branding aspect. There are a lot of strong agencies that are present there. And uh, having said that, all of the changes that we're seeing around us created a new opportunity for markets that people don't necessarily pay attention to. Uh, So you're seeing a lot of movement. Number one reason is everything had to be localized. So being a global brand is tricky because you're not able to do all of these events around the world and you're not able to necessarily ship everything to retailers because the shops are not open. Uh, You may not be already shipping to some of these countries. So suddenly opportunities for local businesses are flourishing as well. And uh, so it's, you know, nationalization is not necessarily a positive thing. We want to keep a global system but also looking what's local, what's near to you, can have a positive impact in creating these local ecosystems as well. So even in places like Africa, very different than the way we are talking in UK, but uh, there's a lot of movement that are inherently sustainable because of necessity. Yes. Uh, the, you know, because of what they have access to, they have to keep things local, they have to uh, not, not overproduce, they need to probably repurpose what exists. Uh, so this is inherently creating sustainably minded brands without even thinking about it. Uh, but having said that, there are other markets that traditionally are not associated with sustainability are making movements as well. So we are seeing definitely a lot more interest in Middle East. Uh, but also even in China, the conversation has started with the brands uh, because traditionally Chinese brands, number one priority has been about growth. Mm-hmm. and opening more stores and be able to really scale the business. Uh, but I'm hearing more and more from concept stores, retailers that are looking for these opportunities and ideas at a small scale and trying to push it forward. Uh, so I think we are definitely seeing a global movement towards it. And um, there's definitely no going back. I think there's a recognition that the business has to operate in a different way. Yes. So everybody is looking at how to connect uh, with their customers at at the local scale, but also how to be relevant to their culture. And that culture is very much, it started with food. It, it, it was all about organic and natural, definitely moving into fashion. Uh, and then ultimately, it's all about lifestyle as well. Uh, you know, you're seeing the not, not only climate change, there's a huge movement around plastics. Yes. Uh, especially in the West. Uh, this has direct links to fashion. Uh, so that in itself is going to make big changes to the industry itself. I think also as well this this year, um, 
with brands talk about marketing and fashion shows and with COVID hit, um, that's a lot of money saved on producing enormous shows and, and um, sets and, and collections and everything. And I, I, I thought it was very innovative, some of the brands, how they um, showed their shows. For example, one of my favorite was Moschino when they did um, puppets. It was like Thunderbirds. I just thought it was really genius approach. And it's made me think of what you were saying earlier about having social media and having innovation and, and finding ways to show your product in a virtual way because now we're not making these trips. And, and, and I think, um, would you agree that that, that whole, it's con- completely changed how shows are going to be shown in the future. There's no need to be attending 500 guests or 1,000 guests at a space in the outskirts of Paris, say. Well, I mean, what what you're realizing is that if if you spend a lot of money, it may get a lot of coverage, and ultimately your real return is through the coverage you're getting online and and through publications, not necessarily with the few people that are attending the shows. But that kind of uh, attention can be created in different ways. It doesn't have to be spent on a show. Uh, So you can imagine what you can produce uh, from a content perspective for a million dollars versus a show. Yes. (laughs) And I'm sure it can can last a lot longer than just the show itself. Yeah. (laughs) I predict that you may not even focus necessarily on new products going forward. It's really about creating content that's reinforcing your culture and uh, connecting with your community. Uh, so in any way you can do that, you will definitely grow the following to the brand. The product can be presented secondary to the idea of who you are. And I think we're moving there. Yes. And that must be very exciting for these younger gen- these, these younger designers that don't have the money to put into doing a show or, or, or having flying people in. It's It's easier for them to promote their their collections this way whether that's on instagram or tiktok or snapchat it's it's their platform really it's clearly not easy especially if you're getting into so one of the beauty of the the traditional way of doing things was uh, the system was clear you could participate in it and you could learn from people around you suddenly we are in this unknown moment so there is a bit of ambiguity and anxiety that creates but having said that, I think if you're a risk taker, if you're creative, you can really push the boundaries. There are no rules anymore. You can do it in any shape or form you like. And if you're if you're you know, smart enough and creative enough, you will get the attachment. Which I, I think is very, very exciting. I have to say that's something that um, I'd felt with Mission when we started, that it's just, just do what we feel we want to do, that something is exciting, storytelling and what what's what's your what are you up to next? Is there anything new you can share with us, Barack, or anything that's exciting you in the new year? I mean, uh, what I've been doing, which I don't necessarily talk too much about externally, is that uh, very much engaged with a lot of startups and incubators. Uh, as I was saying, that I am very keen on uh, entrepreneurship, especially when it comes to the fashion industry, because it's very ripe to be disrupted. And it's happening all across that value chain that we were talking about. Uh, so I am uh, spending a lot of time with everybody that's working on new innovative materials to rethinking that whole business model, uh, things that are happening across the, the manufacturing, uh, but also new ways of retail as well. And then looking at how to use blockchain, tokenizing products, telling stories in a new way. 
so I'm keeping myself busy with engaging with as many new ideas as possible because I know that the, the ground is shifting so quickly and every single element is moving uh, without necessarily fitting perfectly to each other. So I would love to be able to be part of that change and try to influence it in a small way where I can. Uh, but I, I feel like the next uh, year for me will be the same way. Although we are remote, it's amazing to be able to talk to everybody all over the world, everybody from designers to content creators to manufacturers uh, and uh, constantly producing new ideas, but also being a catalyst and bringing things together. And uh, I never thought that I would be involved in so many different businesses at the same time. So, I mean, you mentioned the two that I personally built, uh, but beyond that, I am talking to another 10 probably on a very regular basis. And I feel like these are all feeding each other. Uh, so the idea of just focus on one thing and move in that direction is probably not as relevant anymore. You just have to be part of the overall system uh, and, and look at all of the things that have synergy with each other and, and make sure that you're aligned with all of these uh, evolutions so that whatever you're spending most of your time in is influenced and, um, and directed in the right way. It's, it's almost like, I mean, you say you want to be part of it, but you really were at the forefront of this a while ago and, and started this, this movement with everything from working with Kering to Shirovsky to Gap and, and creating scholarships at Parsons. So you must feel it's finally things are shifting the way you want to see them going, which must be really rewarding. It is. And, and in some ways, I'm trying to be also in the forefront of where it's going next. Uh, so everything that I have been working on is ultimately pushing me to even go deeper into innovation and entrepreneurship and really work both academic corporates, uh, researchers, uh, and uh, even other businesses along the value chain to, to see where we can take the conversation next. And it's not just about the word sustainability anymore. It's basically the next generation business. Yes, yes. Well. Barak, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us from sunny Greece. Um, I'm, I'm so excited everything you're doing. I think it's fantastic. And any student that's under your wing should be very appreciative and, and grateful for you giving them such great guidance. I appreciate it as well. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our last podcast of 2020. What an utterly crappy it's been. So I'm looking forward to 2021. Charlene will be back in the new year with me, where we have so many more guests that we want to talk to. So thank you for listening, and I wish you all a peaceful Christmas, happy holidays, and a healthier and happier year ahead. Thank you so much. Take good care, everybody. Bye-bye.